2: What's up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the 73rd Hole. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, and Sam Humphreys with you as always. And as you know, we are the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Head over to GolfOklahoma.org. Check out everything that they have to offer. Special episode today as we've got a great interview coming your way. We are joined on the 73rd Hole by PGA Tour Pro and uh, local favorite, Taylor Goots. Taylor, we appreciate you joining us. Just made it back from uh, Riviera. Pretty good week out there.
3: Yeah, it was a good one. It's uh it's one of my favorite places, uh, each year. So it was, uh, it was nice to have a good week and good to be back home when, uh, the snow is all melted.
2: Yeah. You got here at the exact right time. It was uh, negative temperatures last week. Good week to be out in Los Angeles. Uh, just kind of talk to us about that event. Obviously one of your favorite courses, uh, on the PGA tour and you got to play with one of your best friends on tour. I know Max home on Sunday who ended up hoisting the trophy. He showed you a lot of love on his podcast yesterday. So just kind of take us through the week, uh, what it was like and, and, how you played and uh kind of just what you you gained from that experience at riv
3: yeah uh obviously it was so cool to you know in first person see max go and win you know at that course it's such a special place uh on the pga tour but especially for max like he grew up nearby last year we played in the final group or not the final group we played in the second or third to last group on sunday together and we played again this week uh there this year on sunday together and it was a. Last year, he had a chance, it was kind of funny, he had a chance to uh, kind of win last year, and he, uh, I'm going to say with like two holes to go, he was within a shot or two, and um, and so he, he gets to 18, and I think he's one shot behind, and he hits it just over the green, and hits a ship, and leaves it like 15 feet short. And this was pre COVID times, so there was fans everywhere, right? Yeah. And so twenty thousand fans on that hill. Yeah, exactly. It's just you're surrounded by people. And uh, but it's dead dead quiet. He has a putt to for par be clubhouse leader if he makes it. He's one shot back. And um, like I said, we were the either the second or third to final group and, and so if he makes it, you know, there's there's a chance he could get in a playoff, could possibly win a golf tournament, and uh, and he's literally stepping into it. And he's kind of wiggling. He's about to hit the putt, and someone yelled "gooch," and it was dead quiet. And someone oh, wow. just yelled yes. my name, and so he had to back off. And the the person ended up getting kicked out of the golf course and everything. So um, we kind of now, in hindsight, by the way, he missed the putt. In <laughs> hindsight, we uh, we laugh about it now. Unfortunately, he uh, if he had made it, he wouldn't have even gotten to playoff anyway. So it worked out okay. But uh, all week, throughout the week. Uh, seeing him and his caddy, we'd always kind of make jokes of like, Hey, there's no fans this year. You don't have to worry about someone yelling my name now to mess you up on 18. (laughs) And, um, and so no, it was, it was just, it was a cool week. Uh, like I said, it's just one of the best on tour for sure. But, um, unfortunately I didn't have my, my a stuff, uh, especially on Sunday. I think I was just telling my buddy Vic that I think I only hit seven or eight greens on Sunday. I just wasn't hitting it that great, but, um, nice if, finish though. Yeah. Yeah. And so I persevered, had a good finish, but, uh, if I wasn't going to win, there's no doubt that I, I was rooting for max. And so it was, it was really cool to see him, uh, get it done.
1: Yeah, I, I want to personally thank you, Taylor, because I had you as my one and done pick this week, and your last bur- uh, back-to-back birdies obviously <laughs> did a little bit more for you with FedEx Cup and and currency amounts, but it gained me a little more points in the pool. So I appreciate you for yes, that. Yes, sir. And um, you know, obviously, you and Max have been, been friends for so long, and obviously at the time you second to last group, you had to assume Max's birdie putt was obviously the winner tournament because Burns was kind of falling apart down the stretch. You obviously finished birdie-birdie, so you're kind of on a little bit of a higher cloud. You know, dinner's going to taste a little better that evening. What was it like for you to see one of your better friends miss a three-and-a-half-foot putt? And and I want to put it into perspective. You can probably let the um, listeners know even better. That's not the easiest three-and-a-half-footer you're ever going to have. That thing snaps off the planet. But what was it like for you to see a, your friend miss a putt like that to win?
3: So we got to the green before – my caddy and I got to the green before Max did. And uh, as we got up there, we realized – because it's kind of hard to see where that pin is – Um, it, that pin, honestly, people don't know this, but that pin doesn't even look like it's on the green from the fairway. And so it's hard to see have, you don't have good depth perception. So you don't know where the balls are really. And so when we got up on the green, we finally realized like, dang, he's close. And, um, but as we get closer to it, we're like, I hate to say this, but if you could pick one putt that you wouldn't want to have to win a tournament on the PGA tour, (laughs) it would literally be this putt. Unreal. Uh, it's Poiana Greens. It's late in the afternoon. It's a big breaker. By, like, by the
2: way, it's Poiana Greens that were not motor rolled Sunday morning.
3: Yeah, and, Correct. And had people
1: on them Sunday morning who have, who have finished their rounds.
3: Correct. It, it was the worst possible scenario to have a three-and-a-half-footer to win a golf tournament. Um, and uh, I don't know if y'all saw the replay. He hit a good putt. It looked like he hit yeah, a good putt, yeah. and the thing just snapped. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I hate to say that it wasn't surprising, but – it's just such a hard putt to commit to where you have to really hit it. Yeah, it looked uh, like he tried
1: to hit it firm, take some break out of it, and exactly. it's just hard to trust playing a, a three footer, t- three inches outside the hole oh, to
3: win the tournament. No, a hundred percent, and uh, and so I I was not surprised that he missed it, uh, just because of how hard the putt was. But I I when we were walking up the 170 flights of stairs up to the uh, scoring ten after that, I I just smacked him and said, "Hey, text me after you win this thing." Yeah. And because uh, awesome. I had no doubt, it was just, it was it was meant to be. I mean, throughout the round, you could just tell it was just it was his day. It was meant to be.
0: Hey, speaking about that. Uh, yesterday or I listened to his podcast yesterday and he gave major credit to you Um, and he he brought up a thing that you did on 18 to kind of keep him calm and I wanted to ask if you did this on purpose or not but he said you kept telling him this long story on 18 to kind of get his mind off it and he thinks you did it on purpose because you knew him that well and knew that maybe getting his mind off it Max is the kind of guy that is more talkative and everything and and it's kind of more of that uh, personality and everything I didn't know like either what the story was about or if you did it on purpose or kind of what were you doing as a friend there on eighteen?
3: Yeah, was, so before the round, I was in the uh, fitness trailer warming up, and um, Brian Gay walked in and he told a crazy story about Spreewell. That is for another time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lat- yeah. Latrell Spreewell, yeah. yeah, crazy story. Uh, <laughs> another another day in time. But uh, so we're walking uh, the first tee shot of the day. We're walking down, and his his caddy Joe is awesome, and uh, I've known him for a while as well and so we're walking down uh the after the t shot on the first and i i'm like bro i gotta tell you this story and so i tell him and so he goes hey do you want like do you want max to hear this and i had the thought i'm like man this would be a good story to have later in the round if either of us need to get away from the yeah. you know from the moment and so i was like no nah, i'll just tell you and so i told him the story and then after we walk off or we're going up to seventeen, the second te- or the second shot on, eight, on seventeen, the par five, and uh, I was like, "Dude, Max, I got to tell you this story," and uh, and it's a it's kind of a thorough story, so I knew I could start kind of in the middle of seventeen, right. and it would finish kind of in the middle of eighteen, and knowing where I was, I wasn't going to you know have a chance to win and. I knew max was and i knew how dang good he was playing i was like man this would be a good time to kind of get his mind off things and so we uh we we made that story happen and unfortunately he missed the (laughs) three-footer but um but it it ended up working out yeah and by the way everyone fortunately he won uh fortunately the three-footer didn't matter but the up and down he had on 17 was i mean Top notch. I mean, it took out of the bunker. The bunker shot he hit. Bad, it gets bad over, lie out of the bunker too. Yeah. And it and wasn't it a good over, lie. Yeah. It gets yeah. overshadowed because of his shot on ten. It, 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 and it, then he
0: obviously hit the great shot into the part three on the second playoff hole. But we forget about the up and down he had oh on. Oh
3: my 17. gosh! Like the the stones it took to hit the bunker shot he hit. Like. It was top notch. You
1: got, you got up and down from a similar, very similar spot, though, didn't you?
3: I had a way better lie. I had a way. So his was like in a raked spot, kind of flat. I had a little bit of an uphill lie. I just I had a way better shot, and I wasn't trying to win a golf tournament, so it was a little yeah. bit easier. Right.
2: Yeah. So I mean, you've been on on tour for a couple of years now, and I know we talked to you last year, talked about your journey coming up, Q School, McKenzie Tour, all that, working your way at the at the time the Web.com and onto the PGA Tour. Now, now you're getting into a place in your career where you've had some high finishes. Had a couple of top fives this fall, had the uh, the good finish this week at Riv. How do you feel like your game is building toward that first win on the PGA Tour, where Max Holm is patting you on the back and saying, hey, you got this. Go get this done. Do, do you feel like you're close? Is that something you focus on that you obsess about? Uh, I'm always fascinated with the mind of professional golfers whenever it comes to you, you know the difference between having a good week and finishing T7 and having everything go right and hoisting that trophy. So So how do you balance continuing to grow and getting better, but also focusing on getting that breakthrough win.
3: So I, I think Tony Finau is a great example. I mean, he's been an absolute machine for the last six months to a year. I mean, and obviously even further back, but especially the last six months, I mean, he's an absolute machine, but it just shows you that, I mean, the golf gods are a real thing. <laughs> like <laughs> there's no doubt. There's, you no know, doubt about it. there there's just, there's times when it's your time. And like this last week, for example, Max made a couple putts on the front side and I look at my caddy. I'm like, and I, you know, I, I didn't have my stuff that day. And so I look at my caddy. I'm like, bro, it's his day. Like, it's just, you can just see that like what's unfolding. And um, so to answer your question, like you always play to win. Like that's, that's the absolute goal. But, um, you know, from my experience, I've learned that my greatest progression comes from not focusing on that. Uh, when, when you focus on that, you, you lose kind of, for me, I I lose sight of kind of the day-to-day process, not to be so cliche, but I know that if I focus on the things that I can control, eventually the results are going to come. Um, and hopefully those results will be, uh, some wins in the future.
1: And I think there's no doubt that there will be Taylor. Um, and you know, get, also given match Carr, you said it was his day. He had to restart. I'm not sure what hole what hole he started on on Saturday to fin- or Sunday to finish his third round. But he did not make a bogey the hole ever since he restarted going into Sunday's round and mm-hmm. to the end of Saturday. So I mean, he definitely had it rolling from there. And so this next question is kind of a, a two parter because we were kind of talked about it whenever we were capping the show, Taylor. The, um, did you feel like it was a benefit or um, kind of a non-benefit to have finished your round Saturday evening instead of being one of those people to come out and play Sunday morning? Because like Colby had mentioned, they didn't, they didn't mow the greens at all, so the greens had slowed down tremendously. Definitely different feel when it comes to that. So this is kind of my first part of the question is, did you, did you feel like that, that was a benefit that you were able to get done, you were able to sleep in, obviously, and get your rest and do that thing, or would you have preferred to go out and have to play a few more holes to get used to the conditions a little bit?
3: You know, it was one of those situations that it was probably pretty similar. Whichever route you had, whether you finished or you had to come back out, um, we probably had a little bit of an advantage uh, finishing early. But like when I finished on 18, I ripped driver and I ripped six iron, and I was sure the green on Sunday. I hit driver and kind of a three-quarter gap wedge if that gives you an <laughs> yeah. indication the wind and so
1: did it just completely switch
3: 180 uh no there was just there wasn't much wind on sunday but when we finished saturday it was just the wind was how it was whipping and um and so sunday morning i know it was blowing i just i don't know if it was blowing as much um and i, I have a hard time thinking it was blowing any harder so i If they got a little bit of a a break in the wind, obviously there's some benefit there, but it was also colder Sunday morning as well when they had to come back out. So there's, I don't know, there's a lot of factors to to weigh there, but uh, I would say... I was glad that I got to finish Saturday.
1: Yeah, yeah, normally that's how it is. And so, you know, reiterating what right Colby said about how, you know, to win a golf tournament, you have to have all, essentially, almost all the cards go right. You got to play the best, you got to get good breaks. We saw Sam Burns hook it 80 yards out of bounds, and he was still <laughs> hit a tree and it bounced back in, you know. And so to get right with, you know, finishing your tee time or coming back. How have you noticed you know we always talk about with the British Open being you know the late tea time will get a break as opposed to early break? How much have you noticed that just on a week to week basis? Do you feel like that a morning late tea time versus a late morning tea time does that how much impact does that have on on a, just an average week?
3: Yeah, I mean, I would say fifty to seventy five percent of the time uh whichever weight like you know there's a there's a difference in the waves. Um, it's not an every week thing, but it's more, it happens more than it doesn't happen, uh, where you would rather be in one wave than the other. Um, especially like on the West coast, because, uh, with the sun going down early and like having to start, you know, super early, uh, on either Thursday or Friday, you just, you get a lot of varying conditions of weather. And so if you're able to, and really even the for the Florida terms that are coming up, uh, like you, you, you. I mean, Bay Bay Hill last year was a borderline U.S. Open. Oh, by the way, the greatest round I have ever seen on that note is Max. I play with Max Saturday at Bay Hill. It is the greatest round I've ever seen. He three-putted from three feet on the last hole and had the best round of the day by two or three shots. <laughs> I remember that, yeah.
1: Because yeah, I remember I looked on the app, and it was like, you could see a little triangle around the hole on 18. I'm like, what in the world happened? And, cause, and he saw it, and it, it but he was beat everyone by three shots that yeah, day.
3: Yeah, and he three-putted from three feet on the last. Like, it was yeah. the craziest. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, having the, uh, the better wave, it, it's, it's crucial.
0: Hey, so, TG, what have you been working on lately? Because when I'm looking at your stats here, I mean, these are just your stats from last week. I mean, you're 1.6 strokes gained up on the field, and it's been like that consistently lately Um, compared to maybe your past years. What have you been doing different, and what have you been really focusing on? Obviously, like, T to green, your stats are great, and your putting stats
3: are great. Um, I mean, what what have you been working on lately kind of when you're at home? So my rookie year, uh this is this is my fourth season I think. Yeah, fourth season. So my rookie year I really pinpointed that I needed to be a better driver with the golf ball. And um and so I just it, it it was a focus of mine. Um and in my rookie year I could tell uh whenever I I hit a bunch of fairways, whenever I was driving it well, like I just it sounds so super simple, but when I was driving well and hitting fairways, I was playing well. Yeah. And, um, so it just, it really stuck out to me. I'm like, man, I need to, I need to hit more fairways and I need to hit more fairways with driver. And, um, because there's a lot of opportunity on tour. I fortunately have the, the length where I don't have to hit driver a whole bunch, but hitting driver a whole bunch and hitting driver a whole bunch in the fairway, it's a, Huge benefit. I will say um, you're the best three-wood player I've ever seen live. <laughs> you you <laughs> love you. the Stinger three-wood. I do. I do. But, unfortunately, on tour, that uh, isn't always the – I mean, you look at the best – this is how I always put it. You look at the best 10 to 15 players in the world, generally speaking, they all drive the crap out of it. Yeah. And so, um, the old you know the old adage of drive for show and puff for dough, that's not necessarily true anymore. Yeah. Um, and so for me, the last uh, year and a half to two years, uh, uh, the, the driver has been you know, such a focus. I've been working hard on it, and it's it started to pay off.
0: Well, while we're on the subject of the driver, TG, what do you think about – um, the USGA coming out saying they want to dial it back do you have any thoughts on that as far as like you're a younger guy I've talked to some older guys I'm actually doing a story on like uh, Scott verplanks of the world Willie Woods of the world and they're not as in favor of it but what does a younger guy on tour kind of say I I feel like
3: um, you
0: might have a different opinion
3: but. did y'all did y'all see uh, Rory's take on it at oh, yeah absolutely yeah. it was a hundred percent spot on I mean we're at a we're we're in a game where it's trying to, we're, we're trying to grow the game and growing the game is not chicks. Dig the long ball. Yeah. Like hitting it far, hitting it long. <laughs> that is, that's what you, that's what you want to see. That's, that's fun. It's exciting. And the USGA trying, and or in the RNA, the governing bodies of, you know, golfer like when they're trying to take that back, it's just, I think it's terrible for the game. Uh, my, my caddy and I were just talking about it in the last couple of weeks. Um, in baseball, uh, in the big leagues, they play with, uh, wood bats, right? Right. It's the only profession or the the only level of their profession where it's, it's, uh, it's wood bats. So they basically almost play their own set of rules. In my opinion, that's how I think golf should be like the 99.9% of golfers that are average to terrible, to good and everything in between, they don't need to be like, you know, Taken back on their debt, di- you know they don't need that. The PGA tour, the the best best in the world, yes, I, I can understand and see where you know what some of these golf courses that we're playing that are you know the traditional, the just the the greatest of all time. Some of them are becoming a little bit obsolete. So let's not punish the other ninety nine point nine percent of people because the game is growing. Yeah. and that's the thing: the game is growing, and because it's growing, that that's great for the game. But don't set it back because of the point one percent. Right. You know? And
0: then you have the problem of when do you change all that stuff? Is it in high school or college or right. once you turn pro? Like in competitive golf's different than baseball a little bit, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, changing the ball is a lot different than changing the bat, in my opinion. But, you know, it's just a lot more. I totally agree with what you're saying. Well,
2: and you say chicks dig the long ball. Everybody digs the long ball. Yeah. I went out – my wife and I went out to uh, Pebble Beach a couple years ago when Gary Woodland won and and watched that day. And I was – I followed Rory for a few holes and I was dumbfounded watching Rory hit driver. Rory, I'm a really small guy. Rory's not a ton bigger than I am. Mm-hmm. And I was just stupefied watching him hit driver. It stayed in the air for what felt like 30 seconds. It, it moved about two yards and it, it seemed like it got lost in the clouds while it was in the air. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, does the USGA really want to make it to where somebody like me goes to a golf tournament and sees Rory McIlroy hit a ball the same way I would hit a ball? No, no, no. I want Rory McIlroy to hit the ball like he's a superhero mm-hmm. because to an average Joe who goes to Pebble Beach and watches Rory McIlroy hit driver, he is a superhero. It's different. It's like when I go watch LeBron James play basketball. It's different. He's a superhero. He's not He's not the same as me. It's mm-hmm. it's a different level, and, and I don't understand why they would want to take that away. Uh, I'm curious if they did dial the distance back or anything like that. I mean, obviously, I I know that you deal with manufacturers and stuff like that. It would put a heavy strain on them. But even then, for you, as a PGA Tour pro, if they dial it back, that means everyone on the tour is going to have to relearn their distances. You're going to be hitting your clubs different distances. The courses that you've been playing for your four years on on the PGA Tour, they're now different golf courses. Mm -hmm. So. How, have you even thought about it at all,
3: or is that just something like, you know what, if we cross that bridge, I'll deal with it when the time comes? Yeah, and, and that's, that's where I stand on it. If, if that happens, then we'll deal with it at that point in time. But, yeah, I, I just it, as nicely put as possible, the USGA uh, is a governing body that, unfortunately, most of them don't play at the level of golf that the PGA Tour plays at. They don't have a bunch of former professionals that are there making these decisions. Uh, They're trying to uphold the game and and looking for, you know, future generations and trying to keep the game going on a good path. But I just, I think they need to, uh, and then this is, uh, I'm not, you know, a standout in thinking like this. They need to involve some more of the best in the game to make these decisions. Uh, and, And so... I don't know. It's, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I, uh, I hope they don't dial things back for the game plain and simple, because I think it'll be more detrimental than it will be helpful.
2: Yeah. Thank I think, you, Taylor. I, I Thank pretty, you. <laughs> I think pretty much everybody <laughs> on this show agrees with you. Uh, Taylor Williams gets very fired up about the distance debate, because it's all about growing the game, and we don't want to hurt the game. Uh, one thing that we love is Diffie Ford Lincoln. Diffie Ford Lincoln is just 15 minutes west of the OKC Metro, and uh, they've been selling cars and trucks to Oklahomans for 66 years. Go on by and check out the new 2021 Ford F-150 or the all-new Lincoln Navigator. You can deal directly with the owner. That's right. Give the Diffie's a call and feel free to ask for Lane Diffie, who is the owner. You can deal directly with him. Diffie Ford Lincoln, just 15 minutes west of the metro on I 40 in El Reno. Go see our good friends at Diffie Ford Lincoln. Uh, Taylor, you've been out on the West Coast, some good golf there. Now you're headed to Florida. Uh, Next week is Bay Hill. Then you've got the Players. Then you've got the Honda. I know you'll be in all three of those events. How do you you change your preparation at all? Because it's a different style of golf, California and Florida. It's different greens. Different grasses, it's different weather. So, so how do you now in this one off week reset your brain to go from California golf to Florida golf?
3: Uh, coming back to Oklahoma helps. Playing yeah. in some wind, <laughs> playing in, in you know some uh, some bent fairways and everything that that's helpful. But yeah, I mean it's a completely different style of golf. Um, you know, that's the the good fortune of now being in my fourth year that I am aware of kind of the adjustments that are going to be made. Um, your expectations of things change and you just, you're just more comfortable with that, you know, uh, progression from kind of, you know, perfect weather, Poano, you know, greens, uh, really good greens to more of the Bermuda grainy, you know, kind of some more wind cooler in the mornings. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a huge change, but, um, It's nothing you can really do to prepare for it. You just got to mentally be ready for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that's great. I mean, you're going literally halfway across the United States, so you're going to have some sort of different weather. And, you know, you, I think you make a great point, Teddy, because like you mentioned, you're on your fourth year now, and whenever we had uh, – we've had Jim Woodward on a couple times out at Oak Tree, and he made a good point. He, he um, In one of the locker rooms he was with around Curtis Strange and said for the first two years out on tour, never paid any attention to him. And then the third year he got out there, he actually started paying attention. Jim walked up to him and said – No, hey man, you're kind of you weren't very nice to me before and now you're nice. What happened? And he said, You're on your third year now. You know, that's (laughs) you know, I know people who you know, people can get out here one or two years, they can just get around it. But you stay for three or plus years, that means you got some game. And so, you know, so at that point you're almost considered a veteran at this point. So, you know, my I I guess it's almost another two part question is, you know, you're still also a young guy. So what has been your have you had any mentors for you, like any older players? Like do you you know, ask questions on practice rounds of tournaments who have been extremely helpful for you? And have you taken in any of the younger players, maybe some OSU players who are coming up or any of the other Oklahoma kids that are coming around to kind of share your knowledge with them? Because you're kind of in a really middle ground where you're a veteran while still young at the same time.
3: Yeah, so uh, Charles Howell has been like a a, – he took me under his wing my, my rookie year. He, he's been awesome to me. Um, I played a bunch of practice rounds with him, especially my first year or two. Uh, go Pokes. Go, go Pokes. Go yeah. yeah. Uh, some common ground there. And Lucas Glover has been another buddy that has has been really, really kind to me and has taken me under his wing. Um, for the for the young kids coming up, sure. Uh, they don't need a whole bunch of help. I mean, they've been balling. So, uh, obviously, I, I've reached out to, to Matt and Vic, and, you know, whenever they need anything, I'm, I'm here for them. Uh, but, I mean, shoot, they're – they're doing okay. So <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll, they'll be all right. We mentioned,
1: you know, the college, the reaching college kids. We just mentioned OU and OSU finished second and third down in Tallahassee, only to Florida State. Spoke with Maury Rose with OJDT. He said that Oklahoma has seven of the top 100 juniors in the country, which is very impressive. Wow. And so, you know, just to follow up on that question, you mentioned Charles Howell, Lucas Glover being your mentors. What, what have you learned most from those guys? Has it been just how to play certain courses? Is it really time management with practice rounds? Is it how to handle yourself off the, you know, what has been the most from those mentors? mentors what have they transcended onto you the most
3: so Charles is uh, an absolute golf fiend like he's a range rat he spends more time like it, it's I remember my rookie year being like I was out on the road for three or four weeks and same thing for him he had been on the road for a few weeks and he was playing like 18 on Monday and playing you know more on Tuesday for prep and then playing 18 holes in the pro on Wednesday I remember thinking golly like Uh, he's got energy for, you know, being out here for almost 20 years now. Like, and and what I realized with that was that was what brought him comfort and confidence. And then Lucas Glover, I remember there was a year, I forget what tournament, but like on Monday or Tuesday, he didn't even touch a club polar opposite. And I remember thinking, golly, like they've just, they've figured out what works for them. And, And it's a different blueprint. And that's where like, so when I first turned pro, I got a, a sponsor invite into the St. Jude's tournament in Memphis before it became the WGC. Wait and before the
1: U S open, correct?
3: Yeah. And I, uh, I remember like on Tuesday, I, like I said, I just graduated. I turned pro. I'm hitting balls on the range next to Patrick Reed and this, and that. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And i I finished practice round on Tuesday after playing 36 holes of a U.S. open sectionals on Monday. <laughs> wow. and So then Tuesday I go play practice round, play 18. And then I was like, I got practice some more. And so I go in like chip and putt and Wednesday I wake up and I was like exhausted. But I thought like I needed to d- practice this certain way. I needed to do this certain, you know, whatever it was to be on the PJ tour. Cause I'm like, you have this image in your mind of like, this is how these guys do it. And, Lucas and Charles doing things very differently just really showed to me that, like, there's no blueprint out here. Like, you have to find your own way and you have to find how to, as I always tell people, how do you optimize? Optimize your skill set, optimize your time, optimize your, like, it's, it's about optimizing when you get to this level. It, it's, it's so hard to get, you know, all the juice out of the squeeze and the guys that can optimize the best have the most success and it looks different on everybody. And so that was the biggest takeaway was these guys do things drastically different, but they figured out what works for them. And so that is the journey of figuring out how do you optimize? Like how do you get the most out of your time?
0: Yeah. TG, going back to when you were talking about um, how Oklahoma, coming back to Oklahoma might help you a little bit this week in Florida. Um, the big news here in Oklahoma is that Southern Hills is getting the PGA in twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two. You know. You were, we were talk, we've talked before about how oak trees helped your game coming out of college as well. Just talk a little bit about first of all uh, what the PGA news is, uh, what it means to you and like playing in front of the home fans, and then also talk a little bit about like uh, golf in Oklahoma and how and what that means to you and how it's actually helped your game coming up uh, onto the PGA tour.
3: Yeah, I mean, shoot. This last week was a prime example on Saturday when we had to be called off because of wind yeah. uh, growing up in Oklahoma. Knowing how to play in the wind is, is super helpful. You see a lot of guys, ironically, that are out there that they just struggle in the wind. They didn't grow up in it. It's just so uncomfortable. And so the times that it does get windy – you know, that's, that's such a comfort uh, for me because I'm looking outside right now and the trees are blowing like crazy. It's just a normal day in Oklahoma. It's windy. Um, And so growing up in Oklahoma, that's, it's ingrained in you to learn how to play in the wind, which is a, it's a huge benefit. Um, And, and obviously the PGA at Southern Hills, I mean, that's a, we don't get home games here in Oklahoma. That's, that's as close to a home game as I could ever ask for. And it's, one of the greatest golf courses I've ever played. Uh, I haven't played it since they redid it, but I'm just super excited about the opportunity to be able to have friends and family be able to drive anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour and a half to come and, and right. check it out on one of my favorite golf courses on at a major, you know, where – last time i remember tiger went in there and was oh seven yeah 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 <laughs> and uh it's, yeah that's i mean it's super super exciting in fact my coach steve ball texts me like the hour after it was announced and he was like i just rented a house in tulsa i'm ready so uh, <laughs> oh, nice yeah. we love steve we love steve around yeah, here. yeah the
2: steve, steve's the man so my question then with the pga being in southern You just live an hour and a half down the road. Is that type of deal where maybe this summer or maybe even this May to try to get similar weather conditions? Are you going to make that drive a few times and try to get, I don't know, 10, 20 rounds under your belt at Southern if you can before the PGA?
3: I hope to get up there. Um... But uh, I've, I've tried to get up there a couple of times, and they haven't let me out there. So, Interesting. Yeah. You know, that's uh maybe things in Tulsa are a little bit different if than they are in has Oklahoma City. a Southern connection, hit TG up. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey,
1: hey, he's looking for a tea time, boys. Let's make sure he gets <laughs> well, we'll he get we, we need Oklahomans to lift the uh, Wanamaker in 2022. Yeah, we'll
2: get him on Southern before the PGA <laughs> next year. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to ask you, and then we'll, we'll take a quick break. So, you talked about optimizing your time. First things first, congratulations. Huge congratulations. You announced a while back you and your wife are expecting this summer, your first child. Have you begun to think about what life is going to be like as a professional athlete and as a dad and continuing to optimize that time?
3: So, this last – yes. So, this last (laughs) week uh, at RIV – I played with uh, a guy by the name of Matt Jones who's been out there for, I think it, he said this is was his 14th season.
1: And he's been playing really good lately too. Yeah, he
3: has. And uh, by the way, I played with him for four straight rounds, which is wild. Yeah,
1: how often does that happen?
3: Crazy. But I um, – so he has three girls. And so uh, I remember the first or second day I was like, so I need some advice here. I got, <laughs> I got, I got a baby girl coming. Uh, you have three girls. I'm like, you know, thoughts, you know, advice, whatever, help me out. And, um, and he goes, ironically, he goes, I think you will get better because of this, because you will even learn better how to utilize your time because you're not going to have as much of it. He goes, and also for me, I got better after having kids because when I left the golf course, I wasn't thinking about golf. I didn't, have you know that round on my mind like I'm I'm able to actually get away now because whether my kids are on the road or I'm FaceTiming my kids back home or whatever like you're able to actually you know disassociate with that 75 you just shot and you're not in the room looking in the mirror tinkering with things and it's just a way for you it's an outlet it's a way for you to get away from the game when you're on the road and so uh he's like man I, I don't know many guys that haven't benefited from uh, adding that layer to your life, so. Hopefully I'm the same. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. You will
2: be. That's tremendous. Yeah, that's cool, and I'm I'm sure that'll be a great experience uh, for you and for your wife. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a quick break, come back on the other side, because I know we've got a lot more that we want to get into. Taylor Gooch joining us today on the 73rd. Whole PGA Tour Pro from here in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, Of course, went to Carl Albert and then Oklahoma State. Reminder, head over to GolfOklahoma.org. Check out everything that they have to offer. And wherever you're listening to this podcast, Spotify, Google, Apple, whatever the case may be, go ahead and give us a five-star rating. And click that subscribe button. Hey, unsubscribe, resubscribe, re-rate. We would love that here on the 73rd hole. We're going to take a break. More coming up with Taylor Gooch.
4: When something the size of a golf ball hits your roof, you need to call McCray Roofing. McCray Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McCray and the experienced team at McCray Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs.
2: Welcome back. Rolling along here on the seventy-third hole, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Colby Powell, Taylor Williams, and Sam Humphreys. and of course today special guest Taylor Gooch. Big shout out too. We're uh, recording today. Got our buddy Vic Ramsey here, who just found out that he's got some uh, pretty big personal news. Professional fellowship, moving on to uh, North Carolina to do some uh, some surgery. B- big time surgeon in here with us today, so wanted to give him a quick shout out. And uh, as we move on, yeah, go ahead, Ted. Uh, he he
1: fit, he was able to. He was the one that fixed you after the infamous road. Creek story that we've shared he, he in show we shared. the numerous times. We've
2: shared the Rose Creek story <laughs> where I broke a golf club and it broke me back, and uh, Vic Vic stitched me up. Whenever we got all that done, so uh, shout out to him hanging out with us today. But we've got Taylor Gooch with us, PGA Tour pro, having some good conversations here during the break. But wanted to go ahead and kind of transition back into the game of golf, the world of golf, and uh, you know, since COVID took place, obviously it kind of changed everything. Pre-COVID, it was normal fans, everything, just normal life. COVID happens. You come back. You go out onto a golf course for the first time as a PGA Tour pro, and there are no fans. What was the culture shock like in that, and and what has it still been like as you deal with COVID as a professional athlete, no fans, just everything that comes along with it? What's what's that been like for you?
3: You know, it's funny. So uh, all of us out there, we we kept saying in the beginning, it's like we're playing junior golf again because the only people that were allowed out were our coaches and – sometimes our significant others and family and stuff. So it was like, you know, playing the OJGTs or playing, you know, whatever it was, it's, it was like junior golf again. Um, and it, so it was, it was a, such a weird time. Um, but also there were some benefits too, cause it was like, you're not dealing with, uh, some of, some of the, you know, whether it's, Noises or like having to you know deal with some of the crowd and you know some of the just the extra stuff. It's it it was it was weird. It was nice in some areas, but at the same time, it's like I always tell people, you know, I I grew up watching Tiger and these huge crowds, and you you think of the PGA Tour and you think of of fans, you think of crowds, you think of this atmosphere, and the atmosphere just hasn't been the same since. And so I know as a whole. We are uh, super excited to have, uh, hopefully sooner than later, you know, full fans back. And the, the times that we've had um, the, the limited capacity tournaments like Houston last fall and coming up here the next few weeks in Florida, shout Florida for having fans again, uh, it, it's exciting. It's, it's why you play PGA Tour. It's, it's you know, it, it's, there's nothing like uh, sitting there shaking in your boots in front of, you know, 20,000 people. So it's the best. TG,
0: you mentioned the OJGT
3: and everything around junior golf around here in Oklahoma.
0: Um, What did like John Conrad mean to you growing up? And I got a bunch of Twitter. I I tweeted out last night and asked him for some questions um, from some fans, um, stuff they wanted to know. And the overwhelming majority wanted to know like your earliest memory of golf and uh, maybe talk a little bit about like where John Conrad is in your heart.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I, my roots are John Conrad. My roots are the OJGT. My roots are, you know, growing up playing municipal golf in the Oklahoma city area, you know, shout out to Maury Rose, uh, shout out to, you know, Steve Ball, Kelsey Klein, all these people that are, they're legends, local legends around here. That that's where, it, you know, that's, that's what I think of when I think of my early roots. Uh, you know, when I, when I, every week that I play out on tour, you know, the, the courses are just immaculate, right? And you can't help but think about, you know, growing up, like for me growing up at, I I was always so excited to play Lincoln Park because the greens were phenomenal, right? They're always always just sweet, right? And so, uh, anytime I hear, uh, some of the players out on tour that, you know, we're playing tournament and they're, moaning and, and whining about, you know, uh, this course is this, and, you know, the <laughs> greens aren't this, whatever. Uh, I just always think about, you know, the times I grew up playing Muni golf and, you know, courses around here that are awesome, but they're not tour great. And I think, you know what? This place that we're at this week's pretty sweet. It, it, it could be a little bit different. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I John Conrad, I mean, it'll forever hold a, a special place in my heart. And uh, I, I always... So I, I'd like to uh, think that I do well coming down the stretch, and uh, I attribute a lot of it to growing up at Conrad because all of us have played Conrad here, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 So the last three or four, five holes, like, sneaky, you got to kind of hit it straight. <laughs> you got to, like, get it in the fairway. I mean, it's it's a good little finish, and so uh, it, it made me into the, the golfer that I am.
0: I was just going to back off that for one second. And uh, just to let people know that um, rumor has it that John Conrad is going to get a redesign and have a bunch of money pumped into John Conrad. So uh, if anybody's in the Oklahoma city area, they need to get out there and play John Conrad. I mean, Taylor Gooch is on the PGA tour. He spent hours and hours on that chipping green out there. That's right. Wet shots. I seen you out
1: there with your shirt off a couple of times. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Conrad's a fun little track. It's obviously, you know, my 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 golf accomplishments much smaller than everyone else sitting around this table. But my junior year was my first year in high school to play golf. Regionals that year was at John Conrad, and I knew we weren't going to make it as a team because we didn't have a fourth guy. We ended up having three guys qualify for state as individuals, and I was one of them. That was a big deal to me. It was like my two. Nice. Be, it was like my two best rounds of the year I played at John Conrad and was able to qualify for state. So <laughs> there we John, go. John Conrad holds a little bit of a special place <laughs> for me as well.
3: I like it.
1: Yeah, I I, I had one main question I want to ask you, Taylor, but 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 you guys, trended, so I want to get. Ahead a couple more. One is that one of the best rounds I've ever witnessed personally was you at John Conrad. I can't remember what year it was, but it was um, it was just the annual tournament y'all held, and we were playing together, and you shot a bogey-free, whether it be, I think it was anywhere between 63 and 65. I can't remember. And, and Conrad's a par 72, by the way, so you were anywhere from 7 to 9 under bogey-free. And... I remember, I think it was 15. Is 15 a little uphill par four? Yep yep. 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 I remember you had about an eight-footer for par, and I was playing like complete shit this day. I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> and I remember you had this eight-footer for par, and I, I knew you were a bogey free this time because I was keeping your card, and you made it, and you gave this nice fist pump, and I could tell how much that meant to you, and, you know, just wanting to keep that run going. And so I wanted to share that, that, was, that my, even now today is one of the best rounds I've ever
3: witnessed. So to add to that, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, two days before, I had my club stolen. I do
1: remember from that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. So I, was,
3: I was playing that round with a makeshift bag of, you know, who knows what from, you know, whatever years. And so, yeah, that was one of the best rounds i probably ever played because I went from being honed in on what I had to... All right, two days later I had to play, you know, with a bunch of weird clubs and I just happened to figure out how to make it happen. So Yeah, that's
2: man, that's brilliant. Get the club stolen and play one of the rounds of your life. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm curious. So you grew up at John Conrad, you grew up in Oklahoma, and I'm I'm curious about playing different kind of grasses all over the country and stuff like that. So you play your college golf at Oklahoma State at Carson Creek. Now, Carson Creek, it's a very unique place, and that's part of the reason I love it. I, I've been fortunate enough. I've played it seven or eight times, and every time I get out there, it feels like you're on your own planet out there. The zoysia is perfect. I mean, you, you can't miss hit a wedge. You can't miss hit a chip from the fairway grass. It's just absolutely perfect. But what was it like for you to go from the perfection of playing you know every lie at Carson Creek is basically on a tee and then you play all different grasses all over the world so what was that transition like for you to to basically make sure that your golf game was able to travel from the perfect lies for for wedges and short game at Carson Creek to different lies and, and grasses that you see around the world
3: yeah so uh i so my caddy is from Australia and he has he played professional golf for years and years, and then he's now been caddying for the better half, I mean, 15 years or so. Caddy for um, Greg Chalmers, We had him yeah. on the podcast just yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. after you did. That's yeah. right, that's right. And so, uh, I, I, truthfully, I, I lean on him heavily when I get to uh, – like on the West coast. So where he grew up, uh, in Australia, they have a lot of Kakuya and Poana. And so that is very foreign to here. And so I, I rely on him heavily in those type of areas. Um, I know in the professional golf world, everyone says, if you grow up on Bermuda, you can play anywhere. And so growing up here in Oklahoma, learning how to chip and learning how to, you know, off tight lies out of the rough, everything. Um, it's, from what I've been told, it's a lot easier to, to transition from Bermuda to other grasses playing flyers um, as well. Yeah. Cr- oh yeah. my gosh. Correct. And, um, And so it's been a huge progression in my game uh, from playing Carson Creek uh, to having perfect lies all the time. I mean, that's one of the intrigues of Oklahoma State is Carson Creek, right? Uh, But also a huge uh, progression in my game was after I graduated from Oklahoma State and um, I came back home and to Oklahoma City and I was playing at Oak Tree National of playing on some more realistic type of lies. And uh, it just – it makes you grow, and you just have to be more precise. And and that's – you know, the precision that it takes at national is – it's very much correlates to the precision it takes uh, on the PGA Tour. And that's that's been a, you know, huge blessing to be able to play at national when I'm back home because it, if you can play at national – You can play anywhere.
1: Absolutely, seventy nine point something slope rate or uh, course rating. One of the hardest in the nation. And I want to get to my main question eventually, Taylor. But everyone keeps asking such great questions, and it's making me add more to it. So, um, going back to the course conditions, you know, you hear a lot about when people travel over to the Open Championship, they'll take a lot of bounce off of their wedges, right? Just because of the course conditions. And like, like for me, for example, I putting in. I have two different three woods where I'll have a low lofted three wood that Mm -hmm. goes further, a high lofted one depending on the course, wind, all that. Do you see yourself changing either wedge bounces or, you know, do you have like a 5 wood and a 2 iron that you switch out with for conditions? How, how do you how do you make your bag set up depending on course or do you just keep it the same every tournament?
3: You know, I keep it the same. I've learned to kind of um a couple different chipping routines because that's for me the biggest uh transition is around the greens when you get to different grasses and different parts of the country is uh the types of chips you have to hit and how to engage the bounce as as you know you were talking about like the the way you chip off of bent versus bermuda versus kakuya versus Poant, i mean there's so many di- different types of grasses um uh, one of the coolest stories from early on in my professional career was when i was playing on the web.com tour which is now the corn Ferry, i qualified for the u.s open and um, I'm out there hitting some chips at Aaron Hills in 2017. And um, a guy by the name of uh, Roger Cleveland comes up to me, who is, uh, as a lot of people know. He's with Callaway now. He's correct. with Callaway now, but he was one of the founders of Cleveland Golf. And um, he, he now does the wedges for Callaway. And so he was out there. And, and growing up from Oklahoma, I just always shipped one way and don't think twice about it. And, and uh, I'm hitting some chips, and he was like, Hey, I'm Mr. Cleveland. Uh, I was like, I know who you are. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard yeah, the name. You. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was like, hit a few for me. And uh, and so I was hitting a few chips, and he was like, do you mind if I take this wedge and go, you know, basically adjust it a little bit? I'm like, go ahead, do whatever you, whatever you want.
0: <laughs> you're, you're Roger yeah, face Cleveland, Your is in my hands yeah. at this point. Yeah.
3: And, uh, and so about 10 minutes later, he comes back, and he has like, two different wedges, and uh, he's like, all right, try some with this, and I just, I don't do anything different, I just hit a few chips, and he's like, all right, try some with this, and then all of a sudden, I'm able to get, like, a softer flight, more loft, like, it's just, I'm hitting it more solid, and it was just, like, I never really knew about bounce, and, like, how to engage, and, like, all this, you know, all the, it goes to, like, the specifications of a wedges, and I was just, like, This is incredible. What just happened? And he goes, "Well, so because of how you lean the club, where you grew up from, you know, you you lean it a little bit differently. So like when you are going through the turf, it just it's going to react differently." He goes, "The wedge you were using for this grass, it's just not super conducive." He was like, "So I was able to shave some off the heel here, and this should." allow you to get under the ball a little bit easier to get a little bit more you know loft and uh a little bit more height and softness to your chips and so that's when i first realized i'm like so there's more than one way to to do this right (laughs) and um and so that's when i like i said i first started working with my caddy who is a great golfer in his in his own right and uh from then on, I started leaning on him a lot more because I was like, man, like you've been around, you've you've seen the different grasses and you know what it takes and how to chip off of different types of grasses. And so uh, he's helped me immensely of learning how to so that I'm not changing wedges every week and, and you know, different clubs every week and having to adjust. I've learned how to adjust my. Own chipping and my own, you know, techniques to different weeks and different grasses, and it's a huge learning curve. That's, you know, it's taken a few years to really trust and, you know, be confident. All right, you know what? We're gonna this week when we're in Detroit, we're gonna have to be a little bit more aggressive. We're gonna have to move the ball around in my stance, and we're gonna have to have a little bit of a different attack versus when we're in Florida. We're gonna have to do it this way, and so there's just. There's an evolvement in your short game that happens once you start to travel the country and see different grasses when you have to be super super precise at you know the top level.
1: Now, what's, what's your current wedge setup? You carry 3 or 4 wedges?
3: I have 4. I have a 60 degree lob wedge, 56 degree my sand wedge, 52 and then my f- pitching wedge which is like a 47 48 degree
1: besides the uh, grinding off it which is something that is super underrated i think that allows you to open up the face a lot better mm-hmm. did 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 uh did mr cleveland did he change all of your wedges was it just a 60 degree and was there any other changes made besides the the heel grind do you change the bounce on it do you change shafts in it um what other changes it was it
3: was just a little bit with the heel relief and the bounce on the 60 uh and the 56 as well we i we. He changed a little bit of, of that. <laughs> but um, you're hitting
1: the shot, so we say we.
3: Yeah. and uh, But, no, it was – I think the 56 degree, it was – he minimally changed it. But um, the 60 was drastic. I mean, I remember the first couple times I hit a couple – chips when he brought the wedges i was like this is just completely different and i can't regurgitate exactly what he said he's way smarter than me but i just remember <laughs> thinking this works way better so uh i trust you and i'm gonna do this
1: did they change the uh, upright or flatness of it or anything like that uh, uh, did you wear same lie angle no
3: no yeah that was all the same he just changed like he shaved some off the heel like you talked about allowed me yep. to open it a little bit better and uh the bounce it was just because we were playing up in wisconsin it was Right. And so there was a lot less. Uh, he he took a lot of the bounce off, so I could get under it better, uh, without just flubbing it. Right, <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, that's what we do when we play <laughs> a lot of hard pan courses around here. So mm-hmm. no Go doubt, ahead,
3: Sam. no doubt. Hey, no, so I, I I just want
0: to change paces a little bit. Last night, uh, I got a text from one of our mutual buddies, Caleb Price, and obviously with Max Homa winning last week and everything, um, he mentioned on his podcast yesterday that uh, you guys have a little tournament called the Malapeno. And uh, obviously, I've known about it for a little bo- little while. Obviously, I was uh, working with T- with uh, Caleb Price doing the Great Day podcast for a while, and he's the homie. He's the guy, but. Um Just uh, give us a little insight into what the Malapeno is, how it started, maybe what goes on at the Malapeno, and to kind of give the fans a little insight into how y'all are just
3: actual normal human beings. So uh, I'll actually tie this into the U.S. Open where I met Mr. Cleveland. Um, I qualified for the U.S. Open. Uh, The sectional qualifying was like two weeks or so before the actual event. And um, and so Caleb – uh, and Brock Wardell and Austin Manger. To, I mean, there was a bunch of my boys from back home that drove all night. Like, I think it was Tuesday night. They drove overnight from Oklahoma City up to uh, Aaron Hills to come and watch me on Wednesday and obviously on the tournament as well. And uh, and so, of course, in, you know in your, your boys – fashion, uh, instead of rooting for me, whenever I did something good that week, uh, they would root for my caddy. And so I would go make a birdie or do something good. And they're cheering for my, my caddy's name is Mal. And, um, and so they were cheering for Mal. And so Somehow they became the Mal Pals. Somehow they became the Malapeno group. You know, it just evolved into somehow Malapino came out of it. I don't know how it happened, but it came out of it.
2: So Malapino originates from Mal Baker. That's yeah. right. Okay.
3: And, um, and so soon after that, we were like, you know what? It was actually, we were, we had talked about, we'd always spent the, uh, new year's together, this, this group of us. And, um, and so that was in 2017 and we had talked about like the end of that summer after this opened, open, we were like, man, let's do like a new year's somewhere. Let's go somewhere fun. This group of us, let's go do something fun. And so, uh, somehow, some way that turned into, okay, let's go do new year's fun. And then let's make a golf trip out of this. (laughs) And, uh, so we're like, you know, where are you going to go the first week of January? Well, let's go. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so we go, you know, do New Year's in Scottsdale and then, uh, and then we stay there, all of our girls go back home and it turns into the Malapeno Invitational because everyone who was there had been at the actual inception of the Malapeno at the U.S. Open. Yep. And, um, and so there was seven of, seven of us there that week. And so most of the the courses in Scottsdale at that time only allow foursomes, So it worked out great because a few golfers, as we know, live in Scottsdale. And so we could have kind of a, uh, a celebrity kind of, you know, show up a celebrity golfer each day, show up, uh, to add for the eight of us, right? (laughs) right. Two foursomes. And, um, and so of course, Max is, you know, one of my Good good buddies. So he came out for a couple of the rounds. And, and Max uh, lives in Scottsdale. And he lives in Scottsdale. This and past so, year.
0: This past year. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. And um, and no this was two years ago. Or okay. no, no, the first the first year of the mount. Oh, he, okay, he came okay. out for that as well. Okay. And um, and by the way, so on this point, so he came out for the first Malapeno and then he won a couple months later. He didn't come out for the second Malapeno because he was in this place called Kapalua uh, playing the <laughs> Tournament of Champions. He couldn't make a Malapino appearance.
2: Priorities. Uh, that, that's selfish of him, man. Yeah, come play the Malapino. <laughs> and, so,
3: and so he he didn't win a tournament that year. They didn't show up the Mal. So you know, and then this last year he comes makes an appearance, and then he just won. So I mean, uh, there's yeah. a there's there's some good vibes of the Malapino. Yep. There's winners that come from that, and. Uh, And so anyways, yeah, so the the Malpino, it started at the U.S. Open, and it it turned into kind of a a fun little deal. And so, like you you asked, it comes from my caddy, Mal Baker, who ironically now, so we, we had a little logo made for the Malpino, and so it is now the Sunday shirt that I don't wear, but my... Caddy Mal wears. That's awesome. He wears the the logo on a shirt every Sunday. Just Sundays, no other days of the week. So on Sundays, if you're ever looking on I think it's his left sleeve, there's a <laughs> there's a big old logo and that is the Malapeno logo.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and listening to Max Holmer this week on Get a Grip, he talked about I don't even know how they got down the rabbit hole of the Malapeno. He was talking about you and, and how great you are on Sunday, kind of he, he basically gave you credit for helping him to to victory on Sunday, feeling so comfortable with you in that group. And Whenever he talked about the Malapeno, he made it sound like this big invitational. He, he was talking about like Taylor Gooch hosts this event, this this Malapeno <laughs> event. And I'm like, that's so great that uh, that y'all do that. But let, let's have a little fun now toward the end of the podcast. So, you're Carl Albert guy, right? Right. Another Carl Albert guy, JT Romuto, one of the best players in Major League Baseball. He got his bag here recently. Is, is that, I know that y'all were in high school at the same time. It's kind of the same time we were all in high school. Do y'all keep. Keep together a couple of uh, professional athletes from Carl Albert. Y'all stay oh, in yeah. touch?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he's one of our boys. He uh, he actually was supposed to be coming to this last year, you know, a month and a half ago, the Malpino. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, about a week prior, he got the COVID, so he couldn't make the appearance. Um, but, yeah, for sure. I mean, we that's, you know, very fortunate uh, where I grew up when I grew up, we have a group of buddies that, um, we all just, you know, support each other. And when there's a couple of us that are still, uh, blessed to be able to still play uh, a sport for a living and, uh, him being one of them. So we, I mean, we, we just support each other so much. We love to see all of you, you know, all of the group have success. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, he, uh, like you said, he, he got his bag and, uh, he's, he's doing good, although he just broke his thumb. So, oh, no. uh, he will, um, you know, He'll, he'll, he'll be okay, but, but yeah, I mean, he's – man, he, he's one of the best, and uh, he's always been – I mean, for us, we, we all look up to him because he, he's he's held the standard uh, from athletically, f- you know, for this group forever.
2: Yeah, I uh, I went to Chickasha, and I played baseball my freshman and sophomore year before I switched to golf um, for, for medical reasons, and I remember I was sitting in the dugout when Chickasha played Carl Albert, and I was watching JT Real Mutual play baseball, and I thought to myself – I don't know if I'm in the right place. <laughs> I, I feel like maybe I made a wrong turn somewhere to wind up on the same field as this guy. So And
1: you played with Bryce Harper, too, growing up. I played, I, against, I, I one, played, one
2: I played against Bryce Harper one time. Those were the two guys that I ever saw and played against live were J.T. Romuto and Bryce Harper. And they're I, playing I, together on the Phillies. Yeah, where I was like, oh, they're on the same team now. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, what am I doing here? I need to go home and, like, study <laughs> math or do something yeah. different. But anyway, yeah. that's good what, stuff.
0: Was there something in the water there in Carl, Carl Albert that, like, I mean, what— what what brought so much success from Carl Albert? Like, I mean, not just with you and JT. It seems like y'all have dominant athletics every single year. Especially that you guys are the dominant 5A team. It seems like in mm-hmm. a lot of sports. Like, yeah. is there something? Is there a coach? Is it? Yeah, I mean,
3: I mean, it's just culture. I yep. mean, I don't, I don't know how to put it. There's, it's just there's a culture that that comes with Carl Albert that it just breeds success. Um Year in, year out, different sports. Uh, It's just culture. You know, you you just – I don't know how else to, to describe it. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And, I, you know, this was one of the layers that got added on to my main question I want to get to mention today. But you mentioned before when we were talking about John Conrad where you'll hear some guys talking, you know, pre-round practice rounds about, oh, this course is shitty in this way or doesn't like this in this feature. And, you know, we kind of joke around in our podcast about, like, Bubba Watson who only plays good at certain courses that he likes – have you noticed a correlation since you've been out there of guys that complain before the round and then either miss the cut or have a bad week or anything like that? Do you notice the negative talk implements the way that they play going forward through the rest of the week?
3: Yeah. You know, it's funny. So uh, a guy that uh, has had uh, supreme success, his name is Rory Sabatini. He complains all the time. And I, he, <laughs> he is, i I play with him a lot. He's, you know, he's, he's, very polarizing. There's some guys that don't like him. I I happen to like him. Um, but he complains a lot and, but he's had success. So again, back to the blueprint, like, you know, some guys figure out how to be successful and out there and he has figured out moaning and complaining has kind of allowed him to be successful. Now there are some guys who, when they are moaning and complaining, it leads to bad golf. Um, it was funny, so this last week when it was on Saturday, it was blowing 25, 30 miles an hour, and uh, we can deal with that here, but on those greens at that speed and that slope there, it, the balls weren't staying still, so they had to call us off. Um, and, of course, so many guys are complaining and moaning and griping, and uh, I, I, I I look to my caddy, Mal, and I kind of like in those situations, I kind of join in on the the complaining because I'm like – inside, I know I'm like, dude, we're going to be all right. But these other guys, we're, let's just keep adding to their, like, looking at this as, like, this sucks, this is not fun. And so I, I kind of like to almost add some fuel to the flames of their complaining because growing up in this area. Do you we, actually
1: mean the complaining that you're giving, or are you just doing nah, it as kind of fire just to make sure. them frustrated?
3: Absolutely. I just Mind like games. adding. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> and so, you know, grow up here, we learn how – very easily to fight through the adversity, where a lot of guys that grew up in Southern California and Scottsdale, they just don't know how to fight through adversity quite as well. And so, um, I, I like it when guys start to complain out there because I I, I know that I have a little bit of a of an advantage on them. Yeah. TG,
0: you and I kind of have like a similar background as far as who taught us growing up. I was always with Stan ball and you were with Steve ball and I've known you since I was little. I remember you giving me my first AJGA talent, uh, Cimarron national back those in the day. Those things were a yeah. collectible back oh, in yeah, the day, yeah, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. You were a pimp. <laughs> if you what, had one of those. For anyone who doesn't know, like TG has been the coolest guy since I was eight years old. He was always the super nice older guy. But anyways, back to ball golf. Um, if obviously, they've been on the podcast and everything. But um, for our new golf Oklahoma listeners, kind of speak a little bit toward what Steve has meant to you and your life, and kind of how he's grown your game, and and you've stuck with him and everything. And um, just kind of tell me a little bit about Steve and everything. So
3: yeah, so we started uh, first working together. I think I was roughly 13 years old, and um, you know, I, I attribute my process my pre-shot routine, kind of how I think, a lot to him. Because uh, he started talking to this 13-, 14-year-old kid named Taylor Gooch about, um, you know, what are you thinking about before you hit the shot? And um, he was kind of instilling these middle game aspects to my game that I didn't even realize what he was doing. Uh, but, he, I mean, he, he – I attribute so much of um, – Like I said, my my process, my pre-shot routine, how I think when I'm on the golf course to him because of what he, you know, taught me when I was 13, 14, 15 years old and so on and so forth. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be here today without Steve Ball. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I completely agree. There's I, I don't brag about myself on many occasions, but my knowledge of the golf swing is, is up there. And Steve is one of the few people I will admit that knows more than I do. He is one of the most intelligent golf individuals you'll ever meet in your entire life. So anyone out there listening who either has a young junior that wants to play or you want to get your own game right, make sure to call ball golf because they'll get you straight.
0: Also mm-hmm. getting fitted, they're the best in the state. Absolutely. That, that's
2: one of, the mo- one of, if not the most important thing. First time I ever got fitted. My junior year in high school, was a ball golf. Yep. Ball golf yep. got me fitted, That's got right. me set up right, and got me going. Uh, all right, so let's let's just have a little more fun here. So I know that uh, you two had a debate a little while back. <laughs> we'll call it a debate. So Taylor shows up today. He's wearing the Lakers jersey, the LeBron jersey. I'm a big LeBron guy, but, you know, I know you're a big basketball fan. Tell from Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, y'all got in a big debate a while back, an NBA debate, about Damian Lillard versus Jamal Murray. <laughs> I yep. just want to make sure... A have y'all totally made up from this from this <laughs> no, knock, he, from this knockdown dragout you had about Lillard v Murray and then number two, who's the better player? I, I need a definitive answer. Who's the better guy? All right. First of all, this
0: is not a fair fight. I, I'm sitting here on Twitter with my guy TG and he's at home giggling while all these other guys on Twitter are just trolling me, saying like you're an idiot and everything. But no. So it, it all stemmed from. I'm a Kobe and MJ guy, and obviously Taylor's wearing the LeBron jersey today. He's he's the biggest LeBron guy in the world. So I'm, then I'm we, a LeBron guy. Then we we start tweeting basketball stuff, and people think, first of all, people think we're serious and like <laughs> like going at <laughs> each other, <laughs> and we're sitting back laughing. No, but uh, obviously Damon Murray are playing tonight. But I mean, I I loved Murray in the bubble, but. As far as MJ and Bronco, why do you like LeBron so much? Like, what makes him your goat?
3: Hey, I'm not saying he's the goat. I'm saying <laughs> this is similar to what we were talking about in the break of a career versus the player. Jack had the better career. Tiger is the greatest at what he did. So who's the goat? So, so how
0: do you correlate that to
3: so? So you're saying Jack's a goat? So it's it's. You decide the lens of that you look through. Are you looking at someone who has the most rings? Or are you looking at someone who could take anybody at any given time and make them great? By by the way, I vote LeBron. Okay. I vote LeBron. Okay.
2: I don't... don't, And I'm not saying... Vic says MJ in the background.
3: Back to the... I'm not saying one is greater than the other. I'm saying I think it is not fair to just instantly dismiss one person because they don't have the same amount of rings in a team sport. That's fair. Uh, Hey, we could be on this all day though.
1: The main thing I want to point out about that is you you just seem to have so many people who are on MJ's side who they just won't even hear the other side of (laughs) the argument, right? They just say, oh, MJ's the best and he'll always be the best till the end of time. There can't be another player that comes along that's better. And it's like, LeBron 260, and could play any position on the court, right? So I mean, and he's won. How many ever? How many rings has he won now? Four. I mean, obviously he had to go play with some good players to do it, but who doesn't? Hey, I mean, yeah, if people want to – MJ wasn't shit until Pippen got there. That's, yeah, right.
0: that's right. That's true. I mean, hey, if anyone wants to hear us talk basketball, they can look at me <laughs> and Taylor's Twitter. But, that's right. Hey, – hey, I'm ready TG. for all the smoke on that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's one great thing about you and Max, though. You've embraced social media and kind of respond Helping to grow fans. the game. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, you, you guys are the best. You guys are exactly what uh, we need in the game of golf. Um, and speaking to Twitter and Instagram – uh, I I had a couple more messages last night of stuff that fans wanted to know. One one fan wanted to know you're a big wine guy. What's your what's your favorite wine, TG?
3: By the way, people don't realize this, but we brought, brought two some bottles wine. of wine yeah, he here for uh, this made the show this. really good. Yeah, but um, golly, that's a great great question. Um, it is so circumstantial. Um, I'm a Napa Cab guy. I'll just say that right now. Um, the greatest bottle of wine I've ever had was either a tw- – both are a 2012, uh, either 2012 Odette or 2012 God, uh, Golly, you're talking about a kid who's from – Grew up at John Conrad, and now I'm talking all this wine snobs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now times this have is, changed. This is crazy. you're speaking a foreign language to me. Yeah, yeah. me too. I've not uh, understood a word you
3: said in
0: the last thirty seconds. My girlfriend's the wine person. I, I I've never been a wine person,
3: so you're speaking a foreign language See, to me. See, this is as another well. thing I love about Ron. He's a wine guy. Yeah, Vino. That's right. So is so Kobe though yeah that's true
1: that's true true. oh man that's crazy
0: hey no so another question i had um one more on the uh twitter someone asked me what does a tg playlist look like before whether it's going out or in the car or whatever like what do you listen to
3: god it just depends so like i always look on sundays uh especially on the west coast um I'm able to watch a little live church when I'm on the road, yep. right? And so, especially on the later tea times on Sundays, I check out a little live church before and and even when I'm warming up during, like before the round in the in the trailer, um, I'll, you know, I'm a big Craig guy, I'm a big life church guy, and yep. so I, uh, it, it's a great way to start the day. Uh, but I am from Midwest City, so if we're talking music, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get a little bit of hip hop on there, a little yep. bit of rap, you and so. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm kind of with you on this, Sam. I mean, Lil Wayne's kind of the GOAT. Um, He is the
1: GOAT. He said it in one of his last remixes. That's right. (laughs)
3: Uh, But, man, there's so much music nowadays. I I, I listen to so much, but I'm always going to lean to some rap. Yeah,
2: it's hard to even keep track with it these days. But but I'm curious. So, this weekend, Max Homa, you know, after he wins on the podcast and post-round, he talks about, you you know, the process of being – thankful you know these thoughts that he has in his head his wife telling him forgive quickly all this stuff and and kind of uh bring religion into it a little bit not a ton but y- you know he talks about that stuff and how that helps him so i'm curious you like conversations you have with your wife, you talk about life church, these different things that keep you in the right place mentally. How do you, how do you balance all that? You know, conversations with your wife, religion, uh, you you know, conversations with your coach, things that you do throughout the week to make sure that when you tee it up Thursday through Sunday, you're in the right place mentally.
3: So it's been really cool to see Max from an outsider's perspective, to see uh, a dude that obviously is supremely talented and a great player, but has not reached his full potential because of his his thoughts and his his mindset and the things that uh, he thinks about and the things that he tells himself. And he, he
2: talked about yesterday on his podcast that he has struggled with confidence in his career.
3: Right, which is a lot of people do. Which is crazy, you know, from my perspective because I, you know, I watch him on the range and I'm like, dude, if I swung it like you, I freaking, I might go up to Tiger and be like, what do you want, dude? Let's make this happen. <laughs> but you
1: do swing but, it like him. It's not better.
3: You know, so to your point, like it's, you know, I, I, I've been very fortunate to grow up uh, in a, a church family and, and through my career, I so much lean on my faith and the man above to get me through all the toughest of times. And, uh, and on, in golf, as y'all know, there's a lot of tough times out there. And, um, and so it's been, you know, it's been cool to see Max who has his identity at times in the past has been in golf to he, it's now starting to change a little bit. And, and for me, my identity, uh, is not in golf, Uh, you know, it's, it's in Christ and, and how he sees us. And, um, and so that, that's been, a, it, it just makes the game for me, it makes it easier and it makes it not nearly as important as what we tend to make it. And it's so easy in this game. It's all encompassing. It's, you know, for me, how I prepare, I, I, how I eat, sleep, practice, prepare everything. It is to, like we talked about earlier to optimize, how do I optimize? And, and so I try to do everything I can to give myself the chance to play and perform at the highest level of possible. So it's easy as Max has done in the past. And as we all do to allow our success or failures define who we are. But, um, that that's the, the, the biggest key to my everyday life is to not allow that to be the thing. It's, it's, you know, to my identity be in Christ. And so that, that's a, that's a huge point, uh, of my daily focus.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we can, as all golfers, we can get in a point to where we're so entranced to where our life can be dependent on the number on the scorecard if you get so far down a rabbit hole. And then at that point, you know, you could be unhappy if you shoot a 75 compared to a 65, where at the end of the day you should enjoy your life and love what you have, and it doesn't matter what the hell you shoot, you know, mm-hmm. go out there and do it. And, you know, I'm I'm finally at the point, Taylor, where I'm, I'm able to ask the question I initially wanted to because <laughs> this is this is something that with with your great play has been able to – Ask that question. So, since you've come on the podcast with us, Taylor, I just want to read off some of your good finishes here. T twelfth, obviously at the Genesis. T twenty one at the American Express. Fourth at at Houston. You got uh, fifth at Shadow Creek, where I had you in my DraftKings. You want me a good amount of money. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> I had you T 18th at Northern Trust. Top twenty five at the Wyndham. Um, T 18th at Three M. T seventeen at the Workday. And and these these are all bef- these are all before these are all since he's been on our podcast, guys. And he came on about in the middle. March. So, you know, Taylor, what, and we talk about this all the time, getting down the stretch in competition, you can't teach someone what the pressure's like on the 64th, 65th, 60 cents hole of a championship. So in the best way that you can, describe to, especially because we have a lot of junior listeners, a lot of them are the best in the state and around the country even. What, What would you advise, can you give, I mean, like I said, you can't put this in a textbook and tell someone how to do it, but from the best way that you can phrase it, how can you teach onto these younger guys what the experiences of, of you being in some of those final groups has presented to you? And also, too, what have you learned from that to progress going forward to where you're going to be hoisting a lot more trophies in the future?
3: Did y'all see Daniel Berger's quote the other day after he won uh, Pebble? Which one? About uh, what it's like to win a golf tournament. I don't think I did. Oh, my goodness. I pro-
1: I, once, as soon as you say it, I probably will remember it.
3: So he said trying to win a golf tournament is like Every hole is like a heart attack.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really good way to phrase it. Really,
3: and it's true. I mean, you, you're just you're shaking in your boots the entire time, right? And there's no way to simulate it. There's no way to feel those feelings prior to going through it. Um, that's what makes the guys like Matt Wolf and Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, like their success at such a young age with such low experience like it's just incredible because it you just you need nothing simulates experience ex- except experience you have to go through those feelings to know what those feelings are like to then be able to process that and react better to them in future times so I'll, i was talking with steve ball my uh my rookie year I finished I think T13 at Wells Fargo the Wells Fargo Championship at Quail Hollow and coming down the last 18 is a it's a brute of a hole and I had a chance to have my first top 10 of my rookie year and I was just uh, my heart was beating through my chest.
1: Were you th- you, so you were thinking about the results of the term, as opposed to what Steve Ball comes on and tells us about focusing in on, on, the, the, process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. on the process.
3: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so your mind's always going to go there. You're, you're always going to be aware of what's going on. And so you're, you're just, you're going to be nervous, right? And you're going to be afraid of failing. You're going to have these nerves that are just going to overtake you. And, to be able to overcome those is the key. To be able to deal with those properly, like you just, like you said, there's not a textbook. There, there's not a way, there's not like a...
1: There's not an online course you can take to, th- to learn this stuff.
3: Correct. And that's why I say like experience is best. So like my rookie year when I was, had a chance to have a top 10, my first top 10, you know, I'm, I'm shaking my boots, I'm so nervous and I get through that and I end up in the hole. And at the time it felt like a huge accomplishment And this last week, I had a chance to, you know, I was basically in a similar position and I just wasn't nearly as nervous. I still had nerves, they didn't subside, but I just felt so much more comfortable in that situation.
1: And you feel like that's because you've been there before in and the I, past and you're starting to learn I, from those. Experiences. Exactly.
3: I've been there, done that, and I've experienced that. And, and having that experience and just being comfortable in, in those situations, for me, it has just, it's come through time. And that's why I say, when I look at the guys that are having this ultra su- success, ultra early, it's just so impressive because for me, I've been able to have some success later on because of the failures early on. Um, And there's just, there's nothing that replicates those feelings and those moments in time. But back to what you were saying about Steve and the process and not worrying about the result and that, and that's the thing that I continue to lean on in those types of moments is I always text Steve before the round of um, you know, the final round of a big tournament in a big situation and always say, this is, this is going to be another page in the book. And what I mean by that is I look at what I'm doing in this career of golf as it's, it's a novel. It's, it's, you know, a lot of pages. Yeah. It's and not every, a short story. It's I'm not a short sure. story. It's not a sprint. It's, it's this long journey. Right. And so anytime I have a chance that's full of pressure, full of, full of stress, full of these big moments, I, I just think, you know what? I'm going to embrace this. I'm going to look at these moments and think, you know what, whether I succeed or I fail, I'm going to learn something from this so that next time I'm in this situation, I will be more prepared to handle it in a better way. And and that's how I've approached every one of these situations. And it doesn't make it necessarily easier in the moment, but it is uh, a calming sensation to have those thoughts to know that you know what whether I fail or succeed later on I'm going to be more prepared because I was able to embrace this moment what no matter what happens and and that's where Steve talks about the process you know the the process it's it's so cliché but a dude who just won his 7th Super Bowl Tom Brady yeah Constantly talks about the process <laughs> yep. and this is the most normal dude of all time. If you look at him as a you know, human, it's just go most... watch
1: his 40 yard sprint at the NFL. Exactly.
3: It, but all he talks about is just getting better and learning in the process. And he's so thankful for all the good times and the bad times because it has created uh, those learning moments to get him to where he is now. And, and that's exactly how I feel. I just don't have seven championships yet. <laughs> you will.
4: Yeah, you I will. will.
0: Yeah. Hey, hey, that's you're spitting straight facts. No, last one I had, TG, was, um, I mean, obviously with us being with Golf Oklahoma now, I was just curious, like, what's your favorite memory uh, being with OSU Golf um, and, and kind of speak to how that kind of propelled you to the PGA Tour and why so many guys are successful. But specifically, like, do you have a specific memory that you look back on and you're like, man, I wish I could go back there?
3: So my senior year at Oklahoma State, we uh, it was the first year that uh, Golf Channel had started to uh, televise the match play of the national championship, and it was at uh, Prairie Dunes, yep. which is up great in golf course, Couch, Prairie, Prairie, Prairie Maxwell Design. incredible, yeah. and uh, it's it's, I mean, it's one of the best golf courses. It's national championships. My senior year, um, and we're playing Alabama, who. The assistant coach is Mike McGraw, who was the head coach of Oklahoma State my first three years. It was just the stars aligned for this moment in time. Right. And um, we ended up losing, uh, but it was just such a, I mean, such a cool experience, such a cool moment. Um, there, there's so many great golfers that were a part of, you know, that whole match play situation. My, uh, the semifinal match, I we played Stanford. I played Maverick McNeely, who yeah. now plays on PJ Tour. In a second uh, at guys like weeks, just a
0: couple weeks ago. Correct. There we, were guys like Corey Witsit and Justin, was Justin Thomas on that Alabama No, nah, he had turned okay, pro okay. the year before.
3: But uh, okay. yeah, Trey Molinex and Tom Lovelady, yep. Robbie Shelton. All yep. these guys are on PJ Tour and everything. Uh, and we played Georgia Tech the round before. Um, I mean, there's guys they're from that team. They're on the PJ tour now. So it was just, you know, full of great players who, you know, turned out to be on the PJ tour, but it was just a cool moment to, it was the first time that I had played a tournament where it was televised and I felt so proud to be a part of an Oklahoma State golf team that was playing for a national championship. You know, I remember my freshman year, we won a big 12 championships and coach Holder, uh, or so we didn't get Big 12 championship rings, and I remember thinking as a freshman, like, man, we just wanted, like, conference championship, this is a big deal, like, and I remember Coach Holder saying, nah, Oklahoma State, like, that's expected, we get rings for national championships, not conference championships, yeah. and so my senior year playing for a national championship, that was like, man, this is what it's about to be at Oklahoma State, and um, so that that's the memory I reflect on more than anything.
0: Yeah, and, and just like the other part I was just wondering like is is there something that OSU does different than other colleges as far as propelling guys to the PGA Tour
3: man it's just an expectation I mean kind of the the culture thing that uh, you know Coach Holder has instilled for you know, 40 years now where, you know, you, you go to Oklahoma state, not to win tournaments, not to win conference championships. You go there to win national championships. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll never, never forget that my freshman year when we won a big 12 championship, you know, thinking, yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. And it's like, no, nah, we, we win national championships here. That's, that's what it's about. Yeah. And so just having that expectation of greatness, and we talked about it in the break, like, you know, we never really had like a practice schedule at Oklahoma State because everyone that goes there, you just, you're expected to be great. You're expected to work hard. You're expected to put the time in and you don't have to have someone that's pushing you. And, uh, and not to, to say that doesn't happen elsewhere, but you know, it's just, there's an expectation level at Oklahoma State that I think is different than most other places. Yeah,
1: yeah and I th- I think too, you know, you know, obviously Taylor, when you went in, I mean, you mean, you mentioned in the break you had two to, round two to four qualifying rounds per tournament. I mean, you're not going against scrubs. I mean, every, I mean, how, how many people you think ten to twelve deep could actually can could actually make the lineup in a given year?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, like my freshman year, the the team was Peter Uline, Morgan Hoffman, Kevin Tway. Uh, Sean Einhouse and me were the starting five for most of the year. And, what you know, a ridiculous th- starting five. <laughs> yeah. Mike
1: McGraw said Sean had the best short game of anyone he's ever seen. Ever.
3: Yeah. It, and, it's it's uh, almost
2: criminal that that starting five didn't win the Natty.
3: Yeah. Right. Right. And uh, so there's a picture from, ironically, from uh, my first year on tour playing at Riviera. And it, there was a picture of playing Prax Round. It was Morgan Hoffman, Kevin Tway, Peter Uline me, Charles Howe. And so four of those five were on the same team <laughs> at the same year at, you know, Oklahoma. It just shows you like, you know, how great that team was. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, I don't know. There's there's nothing like Oklahoma State golf. There's nothing that compares to it in college golf. And it just, it all comes back down to the, the, the culture, kind of talked about with Carl Albert, like yep. on a, much different level the culture that is at oklahoma state and it all started with uh the expectations that coach holder had um you know 40 years ago
0: it's literally the hashtag the golf school yeah yeah
1: no doubt and you know like i said you know carson creek has some of the best practice facilities in the world and you're bringing in the best junior golfers in the country i mean i can't remember how you you were probably a top 10 junior in the country at one point in time and you know, you don't get there for no reason, right? So if you're if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So mm-hmm. give give the good players extra resources and let them do their thing, yep. and then and then it's all going to work out. And you know, Taylor, I think on my on on our end, we've almost gotten we have a few more questions that our listeners sent in to um to ask you, but one question I got to ask you before we get to it, it's completely ungolf related, why do you have a hatred towards In and Out Burger?
3: Who, <laughs> who? Um,
1: for- I, I, I see on your story every you put any burger place you go to, you have yeah. a poll and you you want them to vote the other one over In and Out. What, what's the hate for, man?
3: So here's the deal. Uh First of all, I didn't grow up on the West Coast, so I didn't have In n Out. We, so, we did not have know, it very often. Yeah, ever. we
2: we had Brahms. That's yeah.
3: right. Hey. Brahms. Shout, Shout out Brahms. Out Shout out, out Brahms. Brahms. Underrated. By the way, if, if Brahms wants to get on the bag or get on my shirt or something, I am totally game for that. I, all I want <laughs> is just – I just want free mixes for life. That's it. Um, but uh, I always like to give – specifically when we're playing on the West Coast because obviously in and out is – Everywhere out there, I'd just like to, you know, trigger some of these uh, these west coast people because the, the, the majors of the world that's right, they just they love their In and Out. I'm Max just an In N Out guy, <laughs> he does, he, I don't, he strikes I don't me know. as an In N Out guy, he likes it. I don't know if it's like his favorite, but uh, but yeah, they just they just rave about it, and at the end of the day, <laughs> let's just call it what it is, it's just. It's a burger. There's nothing special about it.
1: So, 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 do you think all these other burger places are actually better, or are you just, just trying I, to super hate In-N-Out? because Do you actually like In-N-Out? Would you eat it?
3: Yeah. So, whenever we're at the Malpino in Scottsdale, one evening after we play one of the TPC courses, we always go to In-N-Out because it's good. It's good, but it's not what they make it out to be for a few reasons. First of all, the <laughs> fries are v- the worst fries in – restaurant the, history. The fries are not good. Like, I will give you that. That's, that's very b- average. That you have to, you know... What about the sauce? E-
1: the sauce is good. Yeah,
3: it's it's good. Like you said, it's good. There's nothing special about it. Everyone makes it out to be like the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's just, it is very decent and everyone makes it out to be great. And it's, it's just kind of ironic too because you think about like the West Coast people like these, you know, they eat healthy and do all these things and then they rave about this burger and it's like obviously y'all don't know about burgers yeah. because I'm this no <laughs> is just like it's just you know run of the mill <laughs> burger none special about it <laughs> so to, I, I just like to trigger all of them by the way the shout out to all the people that voted because pretty much everyone is beaten in and out Thus far.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so. That's true. I mean, a lot of people probably said, because time I go to a burger place, the fries are a main essential part of it. And Absolutely. When, and when the fries don't hit the spot, it's just a complete letdown.
0: Absolutely. I, I mean, so no animal style fries then.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm getting fries. To, I mean, let's call it what it is. What, what are the best fries in the game?
1: Five guys. Oh, man. Five guys are good. Five, five guys, five are guys, guys are good. fries
2: are good. M- I mean, McDonald's is a classic, McDonald's. Though. I mean, McDonald's come on. McDonald's is a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chick, Chick-fil-A waffle fries are
1: pretty good. Okay, bad. yeah. That's
0: yeah. it. That's waffle D's, fries, though. But I thought we were just going burger places. I mean, Mickey 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 D's, 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 D's but, is a burger, burger place. place. Come know, on.
2: Come I, on,
1: Sam. Mickey D's and In-N-Out in the same group.
3: But anyways, back to your point. In-N-Out. In-N-Out. Is very average, and I just I got I like to fire up people on on Instagram. <laughs> okay. So so you're,
1: so you're kind of like me on Ricky Fowler, where it's like it's not to say that he's a bad player; it's bad. It's just you think it's a little bit overrated in the sense of coverage, and um, people love it in a sense. Ooh,
3: that's a good conversation. You're just saying Ricky's overrated.
1: I, no, I go
2: pokes.
3: Hey hey,
1: I, 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 I would lo- I would
3: love to get your point this Ted, because okay. I know
1: y'all are really good friends. Okay, okay. Yeah, do do you think? Back because you caddied for Ricky at the Pub Links at, yeah, at OU, at right? What yeah what, yeah, year, yeah, what year was that?
3: I think in 20 or 2008. Golly, getting old. I, I think know. It's well, 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 we, don't have the, we don't
1: ago, have the Pub man. Links anymore, which is a damn shame. I, yeah, love, I love that. I uh,
2: the Pub Links was a blast. I, I caddied for Taylor Williams in the Pub Links, what, four or five times? It was an awesome event. Yeah, yeah. you made That's it great. one year and I lived yeah. down on 18 to miss by one. Uh, <laughs> I lived out down so, on 18. I so, still remember it.
1: So, and, and, and look, I, I know Ricky's a tremendous guy off the course. I would want to ask you, Taylor, when you caddied for him back in the Pub Links and he's had what five or six PJ Tour wins at this point? No majors, unless you include the players' championship, which everyone decides to do. Wouldn't you think that he would have a little bit more wins and success than he has at this point?
3: Um, I mean, yeah, you would think a guy who's ha- has been in the thick of things as much as he has that you would think that they would hit more often, uh, but I guess you know, what do you consider overrated? That's, I guess that's the debate. It, it's cause it's like, point. you know, cause it's like he, I mean, he was until basically COVID he's been a perennial top 20, 25 player in the world for, you know, years and years. He didn't have to go to Q school. He played oh, his yeah. way, you know, he's, he's had a phenomenal career. Um, so I, I guess just when you say it overrated, it just made me think like, man, that's just, that's. Cause it gets talked about often in the media and it's like it's that's that's a tough at to take it just straight like that because he's had such a great career and he's had such so much success and just because he hasn't won as much as the you know the the, the golf fan would have expected him to doesn't mean I, I guess that it doesn't mean he had, he's overrated because he hasn't won as much, you know? Yeah. A prime example is of recent, Tony Finau. Tony Finau, Has 100%. been an absolute machine of recent, yeah. And are you going to say, like, you know, he's overrated because he hasn't won and he's had whatever many, you know, runner-ups and top tens, blah, blah, blah. He's played great golf, like we talk about. And I know you all know this, and most, you know, golf fans understand this. Like, winning – almost has been ruined by Tiger. Like the, yeah. the, the idea of winning is point. just not it's not reality in the average golf fan's <laughs> well, mind what was because
1: the of Tiger. I to
2: say real quick if I can interrupt you. We we looked yesterday at the percentage of converting a one or two shot 54 hole lead into a win over the last season in the PGA Tour four out of 24 guys who held a one- or two-shot lead through 54 holes actually went on to win that event. And and it was brought up because Sam Burns this past week had a two-shot lead, didn't end up winning the event. And Tiger distorted our image of what it means to have a 54-hole lead. It's like in the NBA, in the NFL, if a team leads by a point through three quarters, you don't automatically assume they're the winner. But because of what we saw with Tiger, we -hmm. assume that a guy who leads through three rounds should win, and that's almost never how it happens. Over the last season, over the last calendar year in golf, 16% of the time, a guy with a one- or two-shot lead through 54 holes wins the event. It's unbelievable.
3: That is crazy. And also, not... Extremely surprising. And that's almost, uh, you can almost fault or credit, however you want to see it, Tiger for that because of the amount of uh, great golfers that are in today's game that we attribute to Tiger uh-huh. and, and uh, just the culture that he created in golf 20, you know, 25 years, 20 to 25 years ago. I mean, he's just, there's just, there will never be another Tiger because of Tiger. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah 100% right. agree. And, you know, my, my point on, on Ricky Taylor, this is just what I'm getting into. In 2017 or 2016, one of those years, he led the tour overall and strokes gained overall, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I'm looking here right now on his wins. He's won – uh, he won at Wells Fargo, obviously won the Players' Championships like we see every weekend. He won the Deutsche Bank, won the Honda, which Paul Zazinger says is the best win on the Tour. Um,
2: 2015, <laughs> he finished top five in all four majors. Yeah, 2014. 2014, 2014 I'm yeah, glad. Won the Waste Management twenty nineteen.
1: 2019. Um, some of the bigger European Tour events are the Scottish Open and the HSBC in 2016. My point is just that he's – I just think he's too talented of a player to not have had at least one major championship or to have had double-digit wins at this point. And, and, and I would yeah. love to hear your take on that. I, I don't know, man. It's yeah.
2: It's, I know I know it's, it's hard, so but, there, hard but there's other people out there and that and are look, doing it too. I'm an OSU fan. I grew up an OSU fan. I went to Oklahoma State, so I have a real soft spot for Ricky. But it's just it's so hard to win. It is so hard to win on the PGA Tour. I don't know. Give, give us your thoughts, Tyler.
3: So uh, how many majors has DJ won now? Two. 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 Two? Yeah. And how many years in a row has he won on tour?
1: Twelve. Twelve, yeah. I think it's twelve. It's something like it's that. It's got to be
3: at least that. I mean, he's, every, I mean, he's it's, for me, it's good easily the greatest that I've ever been around. Like, it's just, he's the only person, I always tell people, Kylie, I'm making this, like, public knowledge now. He's the only person I've ever played with where I'm like, if he's got it going, it's going to be tough to keep up. Mm-hmm. And so, like, a dude who is, and I was just, playing with a couple guys this last week who we talked about this. Um, He's in the last 10 to 15 years outside of Tiger and really including Tiger in the last 10 to 15 years. He is... The most dominant player. He's the best player in the game. He's unbelievable. No.
1: And, and, and to go back to your point, Taylor. Before, I just don't want to interrupt you. Going back um, to two thousand and seven, the only calendar year he did not win was twenty fourteen. But because of the wraparound season, he won late twenty thirteen. Yep. So he's technically won every year since twenty seven, right? Or two thousand seven, yes. yep. right?
3: And and so I, I just so when he I I understand the about Ricky about like not winning as much. I understand that. I just you know I almost. You can't put um majors in that the conversation. it's almost like the tiger conference. Tiger's the best ever. There's no doubt opinion, about it. Right. Yeah. At he, least he, with he, us, yeah. Some some did,
1: some idiots will come and tell us Jack's better and, and then we'll shut him up. And he but he doesn't have he doesn't
3: have more majors than Jack. Yeah. Right? right? So who has more PGA tour wins? I and I could be totally wrong here. Brooke,
1: and way less events too, may I say.
3: Brooks or Ricky? Uh
1: who has more tour wins?
3: Brooks has more tour wins. By, I mean, Barely. a sl- slim amount. It's got to be. Brooks has two or three more.
0: That's right? It. Yeah.
3: And so a guy who's won a handful more majors, three, mm-hmm. three, right? Four. 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 four for Brooks. Two PTAs, okay. two USO. Okay. So four majors. Uh, and so, like, that's where, you know, it's just, again, the lens through which you choose to look at. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. The, the success that Ricky has had has been incredible. And it just – I guess the expectations of the media that has been put on him has been maybe a little bit unfair because almost to his own detriment because of his early success. He was one of the early like social media guys. In he's the game. marketed
1: himself so well ex- since he's been ex- on tour.
3: Yeah, so it's been a perfect storm for people to have like these maybe. Unfair inflated expectations, and not to say that he hasn't done as well as he could have done, but who has?
1: Yeah, Absolutely, you, you always know, want to do better I, I'm just yeah. looking at, you know, we went, like we mentioned The 2014 Masters finishes in the top five 2017 leads the whole tour in strokes gained T to green And it just seems like we're going in the opposite direction now than what we were And, yeah. as and, yeah. and, and you know, as much as I love to try to find an enemy in golf Which, you know, Ricky was kind of easy Because when we were in high school it was We always had a Rory versus Ricky debate And I was <laughs> right, on the Rory right. side and he was Ricky So, right, I mean, right, you know, huh? it's kind of like NBA, NFL You always have a team that you want yeah, to win yeah, yeah. against, right? And yeah. And so it's not that I, I dislike Ricky at all. I know he's a tremendous guy. And so it's just – I feel like with someone who gets so much hype, who gets shown a PJ Championship winning highlight every single weekend, I, in all honesty, I'm, I'm at the point I want to see him win more. I am personally, yeah. and I, I think it's in there. Um, I don't know. And Taylor, you made me iterate on this. You feel free not to. But just seems like his swing has gotten a lot more towards what it was early 2010s as opposed to what it was 2014 to 2017 when he was – I, I think he's still with Butch,
2: correct?
3: I I don't know if he is. or I don't isn't. know if he is I or not.
2: I, also, that I'm, might be the problem right there. I, I'm hella biased because I want to see all the OSU guys win. I want to see Ricky win more. Taylor, I want to see you win. I want to see Uline line win. I want to see Hoffman win. I want to see everybody who went to Oklahoma State win. But that's that's my internal bias. And and even being an Oklahoma guy, you know, I was born and raised in Chickshay. I went to Oklahoma State. Graduated from Oklahoma State. I live in Oklahoma City. I, I want to see somebody like Abraham Answer win, and, yeah. and he's an OU guy. I just, I want to see Oklahoma guys do well because I I feel like I have a personal investment in Oklahoma golf. And I want guys who have attachments to the state of Oklahoma to do well professionally because that means something. You you know, to a state like California, California's got tons of guys on the tour. Doesn't matter. To a guy like to a state like Florida, they've got tons of guys. To a state like Oklahoma, this is an incredible golf state, but we have a handful of guys that we really attach ourselves to that we say... I want this guy to win. I want him to hoist a trophy, and and to me personally, a guy who's lived his whole life in Oklahoma and probably will live his whole life in Oklahoma, it means a lot to see guys who have attachments to this state win, and it it just makes me such a fan of anybody who has any attachments to the state of Oklahoma.
3: Well, I mean, and it's in all sports. That's why the Thunder is the Thunder versus the Warriors versus the Kings versus the Lakers versus – I mean, like you said, in California, there's so many golfers – Also, there's so many basketball teams There's so many football like Oklahoma. We that's why I love living here. And that's why I love the people here, because we we just rally around each other, you know. And so we, uh, you know, we want to see everyone from here that, you know, calls this place home to do well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's Taylor Gooch with us here on the seventy third hole. We're getting close to wrapping up here. I think we got a, a couple more. Taylor, Sam, go ahead and uh, and fire away. Taylor Gooch. Yeah, here. we we got, we got a
1: you know obviously last night we were tweeted out that you were coming on with us um for your gracious time and you know we had some listeners who wanted to have some questions of themselves so we we, we found some of the best ones here and um you know one one of the ones asked was what do you look for in a caddy and. You know, we had we had uh, had Mal Baker on a little bit after you came on with us initially. So, um, kind of just deep dive. You, you you reiterated a lot to it earlier in the show about how they depend on you, but just kind of reiterate a little bit more to everyone else about how big of an impact Mal has had on you and some of your success.
3: Yeah, you know, uh, I I lean on like we talked about. I lean on him so much um, in certain areas of the game, but he also does a great job of also not impeding in my process and impeding in my game. He he knows when to step back and kind of let me take over. And so that, that's very special. And it's uh, it's something that you don't find too often um, in, in professional golf that a guy who has the ability to, you know, when I call him in to take over, but also to be aware of, you know what, at the end of the day, I've gotten to where I am because, you know, of, of what I do and he knows not to get in the way of that, um, as humbly put as possible. Like, you know, he knows that I'm, I'm pretty good and he, he doesn't need to get in the way when things are rolling. Right. And so, uh, having, having awareness of that balance to step in when the time is right to give his input and to help out versus when to step back and just let the train keep going.
1: Exactly, and when we had Mal on, he said a lot of the same things, and I think that it's awesome that you guys have been able to – uh, connect on such a great wavelength and how long all been together now a year year and a half over, about a year and a half now no Longer,
3: long, yeah, over, wait, yeah yeah since, since you since turned the, tour yeah since i got to uh the web.com now Cornfair in 2017 so, so he was so, caddying with you when you years. were on the web mm-hmm. before so yeah. yeah he's
1: been with you for the long haul so mm-hmm. you definitely know he's a keeper yeah. so and, and mal for everything we say tremendous guy tremendous i mean I, you couldn't be luckier to have him as a caddy caddies are very underrated here let's we got to say that hey, that's but, right
2: by the way from someone who's caddied for taylor williams about 50 times I have a soft spot in my heart for the caddies. Absolutely, I know what it's like to carry that bag for thirty-six holes in one hundred and ten mm-hmm. degree heat to go pick up the club that I threw forty
1: yards over to the side after I was uh, pissed okay, off. Okay, so fun yep. story. One
2: time, uh, Lincoln West. It was the fifth tee box. Man, Taylor Taylor Williams hit a hit a bad tee shot. It was the one time that he ever threw a club like toward me, and I just reached out and snagged it like I was playing shortstop nice. for the Yankees. And then as we were walking up the fairway, I told him, I said, "Man." Don't be throwing clubs at me, and it was—it's a—it's a fun story now, but it was like the one time that he ever got so mad. I think he hooked it left on that hole or something. We were over there behind the trees, slung the driver Opa. over. I mean, I snagged it like I was Derek Jeter, and I'm like, hey, let's let let's watch it. That's it. So next
1: time instead of throwing, I bent it over my knee, so it made it a lot easier. So 100%. so uh, uh, next question here from one of the great listeners is, and kind of got. got dive into your mindset on the course and the main example they want to hear is you know how and you kind of talked about that with steve ball how do you rebound from a bad shot you know what is your mindset of you know you just pipe to drive 330 down the middle you got a hundred yard wedge in, you're thinking birdie all of a sudden you miss a yard short and you're in the rough and you have a short sided chip you know what is your thought process on getting over something along those lines
3: yeah, I mean, it's it's so cliche, but you just got to have a short memory. You can't think about the, get, the bad. You got to focus on the good. You can't think about what just happened. You have to think about, I mean, how many times have you hit a bad shot, you know, an approach shot, and then you chipped in for birdie. You know, so much good happens over time that you have to keep focused on, you know what, just because something bad happens doesn't mean it's going to continue to happen. You have to get rid of that and then focus on the moment here and now and get back into, you know, being focused on your process. And so you just, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. You just got to have a short-term works. memory. Yeah, yep. you just you can't think about just because something bad happened. I mean, in reality, if something bad happened, odds are something good's about to happen.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> that, you have that, to move that, forward.
3: That, that's, the, that's some of the best advice
1: you can give, Taylor. And so we got, we got three more questions here from our great listeners. Next one is maybe my favorite one. How hard is it to keep your composure for 72 holes and then report back to the 73rd hole? <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, we all know, guys. I mean, even playing three rounds, seven, fifty-four holes is just draining. How are it's you? Exhausting. How are you able to focus your mind on every single shot for two hundred and eighty shots or two hundred sixty shots? How many ever it is over the course of a
3: tournament? That's, that's It's nice to. Uh, I mean, that's where I when I watch Tiger and his like just absolute You know, concrete, tough focus constantly. I I don't I don't know how he does it because I I couldn't just continue to for four and a half to five hours, just have that bold face folk, you know, like I I have to take time off between shots. So like when I'm approaching a shot, when I'm within 10 yards of getting to my, you know, my ball, then I click in after that, after I hit the shot, then I click out. So there's that, that moment of time when you're hitting a shot where I'm approaching it. Now it's time to start, like, getting refocused, Think about the wind, the pin, you know, all the the variables uh, to focus on that moment in time. But then after I hit the shot, it's time to get away from it. You got to think about, you know, well, how nice the weather is here and back home <laughs> it's they're negative 14 right trying now. trying to find the positives <laughs> in know? any situation
1: that you right right
3: situate. and so for for me uh being able to in the middle of a round get out of that uh moment of time is is huge for me to be able to sustain the ability to be able to f- you know click back in and refocus over four days uh, of a tournament so right that-
1: and, and you, you know you guys are out there for five have five, five and a half hours each yeah. day i mean to keep your focus for that 22 straight hours is almost impossible so going on to our uh, second to last question and it actually adds a little bit of extra into it once i think about it so someone um asked in how much would it cost to be uh your partner in a pro-am and then i figured a next segue onto that would be if you were playing in a pro-am who would be who would your ideal amateur partner be
3: I have no idea the costs that's for the tour to handle. That's not my, uh, that's not my business. Uh, so I don't, I can't answer that. But, um, the ideal partner, uh, is someone that's, first of all, obviously we all want to do good, but if it's a pro-am, uh, your mortgage payment doesn't depend on how you do that day. So it's about having fun and not going and winning. So, we're gonna to try to do good. We're gonna to try to make birdies, but you know what? We're gonna talk about stories about this guy, about that guy, about this tournament. We're gonna to talk about stuff that we can't talk about on here. We're you know we're just gonna go <laughs> th- through the whole gamut. It's just it's just about relaxing, having fun, and and golf is it's it's about community and having fun and and just enjoying the moment with with who you're golfing with. And so that's that's the the best pro am partner is someone that is able to. Try to go out and make some birdies and have, like do well, but also once they don't, because most of them don't make birdies, uh, it's about just you know being able to. Kick back, relax, and talk about anything else. You know, whether it's sports or you know, whatever. So that's right. what, that's what it's about.
1: That's awesome. And you know, when we asked this question the AT T program, I said my ideal partner would be Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall
3: Street, because I'm like, there we're gonna go. know, we're
1: gonna have a great time no matter what. Absolutely. So I don't yeah, care absolutely. if you make a putt or not. We're just gonna have a great time. Absolutely. And mine would be Jessica Alba, just because I think she'd be really good at golf. I, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, well One last question, Taylor. We got from our I think I know this answer because I grew up with you when you were younger and you had plenty of of balls to use. But in your first tour event, did you pull a 10-cup and smuggle the Pro-V-1s from the range balls?
3: <laughs> I, uh, I am very fortunate that uh, I have a, a good partnership with Titleist that I, uh, I don't have to smuggle the golf balls. Um, we get three dozen a week, and uh, I'm sure if I asked for more that they would uh, oblige. But I, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to smuggle the, 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 the range balls like 10-cup. How, how,
1: how often do you change your ball throughout a round?
3: God, that's a great question. I actually got reamed about this on Twitter one time because uh, when I came off a of green, it was at the Memorial Tour. I think Memorial. I forget, but it was at a tournament and I got caught on a hot mic because my uh, caddy was like, hey, like you've hit a few wedges. You scuffed it up. Maybe it's time for a new ball. And I was like, hey, I haven't made a bogey yet. Now you've planted this idea of Getting a new ball in play, like I don't want to switch it. But if I make a bo- bogey on the next, like then I'll switch. But like, don't. And so I basically told him, I was like, dude, like you know, just for future reference, you know, I I'm aware of when a ball's getting beat up. And I know you're just trying to help, but, you know, you're just basically trying to jinx me right so, now. So, so, are you like, superstitious? <laughs> I'm not superstitious. I'm a little stitious. <laughs> 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 yeah. so. so So,
1: you don't have, like, a set, you know, after you hit three wedges, you're going to change it. You just kind of look at the ball and say, well, if it's scuffed up, I'll put a new one in.
3: If I change balls before I make a bogey, there's something crazy going on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I was, I was the same way. When I would keep score growing up, I wouldn't I wouldn't write the scores down until I made a bogey. Yep. So, l- luckily for me, it happened every two or three holes. So yeah. I was able
0: to yeah, shooting. So. Well, man, TG, I really appreciate you coming on. And what I want Golf Oklahoma fans to realize, like Colby was talking about earlier, um, we we're rooting for you and we're invested in you guys. And the thing is, like Oklahoma guys are built different. Like they they will they always want um, their fans to be engaged in everything that they do, and they'll give back to the community and everything. And I want the Golf Oklahoma fans to also appreciate the fact that. We just had a PGA Tour golfer on for, I don't know how long it's been, on air. But off air, it's been about three hours plus some. And he's given his time today just not only because he likes us, but because he likes the fans and he loves y'all and he wants y'all to understand um, where he's coming from and wants y'all to understand that he loves y'all too. So, TG, like, I just appreciate you taking the time today. And, uh, I mean, it's been honestly just awesome, bro.
3: No, hey, at the end of the day, I've had so many – people along this route in Oklahoma that have, uh, given time to me. Like I said, everyone from Maury Rose, when I was 10 years old, uh, he, he, I think I was 10 when he formed the OJGT and, uh, it was the age divisions. I think were eleven to fourteen and yep. fifteen to eighteen. Just was, recently
1: changed it to where everyone everything's condensed. now. Okay, yeah. so
3: I was ten years old at the time. It was like kind of you know like oh you're gonna let this ten year old play in this eleven to fourteen. But for me, at, you know, as y'all know at the time in the fall in Oklahoma there wasn't tournaments to play. Like so, I go from playing uh, all summer to all of a sudden you know not playing tournaments for another six months basically till high school Four months. Yeah. And, uh, and this, so this one, I was in, you know, fifth grade or something. Yeah. And, and so, there's <laughs> oh, like, so there's there's no high
1: school at this point. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. like, you're, you're not junior.
3: junior and, and so he, you know, gave me an opportunity to play golf in the fall. And because of, you know, him taking this venture on of, of forming the OJGT and, you know, guys like Kelsey Klein, who was on for this last podcast of, you know, he first caddied for me when I was trying to qualify for the U.S. Junior Amateur when I was 13 years old. By the way, Kevin Tway qualified. He was at Oklahoma City Golf Country Club. He went, won the Junior Am, played the U.S. Open that summer, and everything. But um, you know, I've just I've been so fortunate in it to have people throughout this journey that have given time and given lessons and advice and have invested in me that, you know, I, I I hope there's a bunch of junior golfers that are listening to this. I don't know what I'm talking about a lot of time, but I, I can speak on the experience that I have. And I know that there are lessons that, you know, kids can take on and I wouldn't trade what I do for anything. I'm so blessed to be able to do what I do. And I, I just hope that there's kids that realize, like, it's it's a pretty cool gig, and it's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of sacrifices, and there's a lot of lessons to, to be learned throughout this journey. Um, and if there's any way I could help out somebody, that someone could listen to this and take something from it and learn so that they can then, in the future, be Doing what I'm doing, it, it makes all this worth it because I, I wouldn't be here for the people w- without the people that have invested in me. And this is, like I said, I, I'm super blessed to, to do what I do, and it's a really cool gig. Oklahoma uh, Gulf
1: Brotherhood, that's it, it really is.
3: Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, and you know, Taylor, we, we couldn't be more gracious the time you've sent here and gave us. And you know, shout out to you know all the Kelsey Klein who came on with this last time, obviously Steve Ball, who's a, a great friend of the show, and. You know, Taylor and, and all the crew guys here and everyone out there listening, it doesn't matter how you look at it. You look the eye test. You look analytics or whatever. The guy we just interviewed is a baller. And so he's going to be out there, and he's going to be making – major championships and he might have a green jacket on or two before it's all said and done so just keep doing what you're doing my friend and you will be there before it's said and done
2: absolutely that's taylor williams taylor gooch was our guest today sam humphries with us i am colby powell remember to head over to golf oklahoma we are the official podcast of golf oklahoma taylor thank you for your time uh for your time last year when you were with us you're unbelievable and we hope to see you hoisting a trophy sometime in the near future thank you Absolutely. That's Taylor Gooch. Thank you, everyone. Once again, head over to GolfOklahoma.org and The73rdHole.com. We appreciate everyone listening. Big shout out to Taylor Gooch for joining us today. We're back next week with more here on The 73rd Hole.